Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. There's two subjects here I wanted to bring up, and the first is one that I've briefly talked about from time to time, and it has to do with the business of school law and which teachers, how many teachers, which schools, how many schools, same thing with administrators, have broken their own contractual obligations as a result of the mask wearing. Now, of course, the CDC has come out and said, the mask never had to be worn in the first place. It's in their own documentation. I believe it's half a percent of individuals who wear masks are likely to benefit from wearing the mask. This right here is a massive legal issue uh, fr- from what I can tell. But again, there's, there's a few things here that I just wanted to go over. And I have a book here that's titled Public School Law, Teachers and Students' Rights by Martha McCarthy and Nelda Cameron McCabe. Um, It's an excellent book, and it's clearly a graduate-level school law book, to say the least. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it, and I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to begin to... I don't know. I'm I'm not going to begin to get into the entire legalese, but what I can tell you from my interpretation of this is that We know that the abuses have taken place with the mask wearing. We know that the abuses have taken place with the social distancing. We know that these are all abuses that have taken place with these children in schools all across the world, frankly, not just here in America. And those schools and those teachers and those administrators, as far as what I can tell, believe that they are shielded, so to speak, from any legal action because they are a third party and they're receiving advice from a second or third party. So all they have to do as a school district is basically point the finger in the other direction and say, well, our health department told us to do this. And then somebody says, well, who told the health department? They'll say, well, the CDC told the health department to do this. And then they told us, so we're not, we're not negligent. Uh, regarding our contractual obligations to keep students safe because we did what we were told to do. This is a huge problem. Um, I, I really don't know what else to say about it. There's a, there's a chapter in here in this book, it's chapter 12, uh, titled Tort Liability, and it goes over elements of negligence, like duty, standard of care, proximate cause, and injury. And then educators' liability regarding supervision, instruction, and maintenance of facilities and equipment. But then it goes against defenses against negligence. And there's an entire section here on governmental immunity, uh, assumption of risk, comparative negligence, and just a number of other things here. Um, I gotta tell you, I just. I feel like, I mean, I know that there are class action lawsuits, and I know that there have been lawsuits against teachers and school board members, but my wonder is whether or not those will even make their way to the state level, because if states basically say, hey, look, uh, everybody's free to do what they want, and no one is is to be held accountable here because, quote unquote, we were all lied to, that's a sad state of affairs if that's the case. So, I don't know. I, I, I want to read up more about it. I want to see what's, what's going on from a legal, legal standpoint, specifically whether or not um, 
parents or law firms have taken up cases like this with any regularity and whether or not they've won? Have they gotten administrators fired? Have they, ca- have they caused entire school boards uh, to resign as a result of, of this mask-wearing abuse and this mask-wearing negligence? Again, at face value, it seems like every single teacher has broken their own contracts. Every single administrator has done the exact same. Now, of course, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to play both sides, and they're saying, well, I mean, on their end, they would basically say, well, wait a minute. We were trying to keep everybody safe. That's why we were wearing masks. That's why we had everybody social distance. That's why we offered the different, different options. And that right there, probably in their mind, would give them the excuse to basically say, hey, look, you can't hold us legally accountable because we gave everybody options. You had the option to learn from home, but you chose to come to school. You had the option to do this, but you chose to come to school. Well, see, now there are schools that are back full time and they're still wearing masks and everybody's wearing a mask and they're still forcing masks on students and staff members, even with a full school, even with everybody packed in there. So where does the negligence stop and where does the negligence begin? It just seems to me that they are engaging in the largest contractual breaking act that's ever taken place across the United States all at one time with an entire profession. Again, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't have anything else on that. I just think it's absolutely bizarre that they think that they can get away with it. And again, maybe they can. Maybe they can actually get away with it. Because again, it's much like going into a grocery store. If you go into a grocery store and they have a mask mandate on their on their door when you walk in, and then the PA system starts buzzing because you're not wearing a mask, and then an employee comes up to you and finds you and hunts you down in the ice cream aisle, and they say, you need to wear a mask, and you say, no, I don't. And they say, well, we have online ordering. So you can utilize the online ordering, and we will bring the food to you. I mean, that's their, that's their excuse to get away with making an unsafe environment for some of their patrons. I don't see it being any different in school buildings. It's equally as negligent, as far as I'm concerned, and it certainly seems like it is. But again, I'm not a lawyer. And I would love to get um, a little more legal analysis on what's actually allowed here. Because when I read these law books, in particular this one law book, I can see it from both angles. I can see how they're saying, well, they can do this, but then they'll say that they're doing this. And then that gets them off the hook because, again, they're a third party. They were told to do it, so they just did it. Uh it's it's not shocking that a school would take that approach. I mean, they really are that ignorant sometimes when it comes to what's safe for their students and what's not. So they cherry pick to say the least. But I can't believe that for the last year. Well, I mean, fortunately, last March the schools were all closed, um, as they were buying into the lie. But the mask wearing abuses and the social distancing abuses and the disciplining students because they're not wearing it over their noses and they're not suffocating themselves and then again having them do it in gym class 
as they participate in gym class and the, and the massive medical problems that have occurred all over the United States as a result of these schools doing this, it can't be possible, can it, that they would just look at each other or, or in a, if, it, if, it, if it, I don't know, even made its way to a court of law, would they even say something like, well, we gave them the option to learn at home, but they chose to show up anyway and wear the mask. So technically, we're not responsible or liable for, for any damage that may occur. I don't buy that. They're still admitting in creating that very action that their own environment is less safe. And that right there seems like it's the exact opposite of what a school building should be doing. Um, so with that in mind, here's the second story. And I'm just shifting gears here from the mask wearing over to the business of this transgender activities nonsense that continues to dominate headlines. But this is an article from American Thinker that I wanted to read, and it's from uh, Ren Wright, and it's titled, Children Need Protection from Transgender Activities. And I couldn't agree more. So I'm going to read a little bit from this. Uh, here we go. It says, quote, this comes from March 6th, quote, transgender ideology is a threat to children and also to their rights to childhood. Childhood should be a time of innocence and learning to grow into an emotionally well-adjusted, intellectually competent, morally capable adult. Transgender activities seek to sexualize and politicize children long before puberty, telling them they have a right to transition even though their bodies and minds are not fully formed and against their parents' objections. Transgender ideology treats children as if they have the same rights as adults and ignores the fact that they are vulnerable to all kinds of suggestion and manipulation. This undermines the principle that we should value a child's protection above all other considerations, protecting children from the negative effects of their own ignorance, impulsiveness, and enthusiasms, and from those adults who may seek to pursue their own interests at the expense of a child's well-being and welfare. It amounts to a war on childhood and on responsible parenting. Now I'm going to stop there. If I just read that and you didn't think to yourself the mask-wearing abuses, then you're out of touch. You're completely out of touch. Because in this article, it's talking about transgender, sports activity, bathroom nonsense, and all that sexualization garbage, and, and protecting children, and the point of protecting all children. So what has the mask-wearing done? Has it really protected all children? I don't think so. Again, dive over to nomassforkids.com. It couldn't be more obvious. It continues here. It says, quote, but trans activities have always labeled attempts by some state legislators to head off the undermining of protection for children as a, quote, war on trans people. These state legislators are actually seeking to protect children. Children are being targeted for life-changing and irreversible medical procedures to prevent their natural development and long-term implications of which they are not mature enough to understand. Some medical professionals have expressed concerns, but they are not being listened to because of the ideology of transgenderism is now firmly embedded in the medical profession. The slightest indication of confusion about sex and expression of sexual identity can be seized upon as an indication of transgenderism and cultivated as such by activities. This is a form of grooming. Most children are not in the position to resist this unless they are very wise, committed, and resourceful parents to protect them. 
Transgender ideology presumes that children have a clear and firm conviction as to their gender identity and can decide on those grounds that they are in the wrong body and that they are really of the opposite sex, but the logic is faulty. Gender is supposedly non-biologically determined. Medical qualified trans activists advocate puberty-blocking hormone treatments and gender reassignment surgery to address the incompatibility between a subjective, non-biological determined gender identity and the child's biological sex. But if gender identity has nothing to do with sex or biology, this can only make things worse, not better. We know that adults identifying as trans already have a significantly higher incidence of mental illness, and this risk continues after transition. Uh, It continues. It's very, very long. I'm just going to stop it there. But I will end with the last paragraph, which again should sound very much like the mask wearing. It says, quote, This is a child protection issue, one that is created by transgender activities who refuse to acknowledge that children have a right to a childhood unmolested by adults with a political agenda. I'm going to repeat that unmolested by adults with a political agenda. What is really needed is much stronger protection so that children are allowed to be children without being manipulated into making decisions that may irreversibly ruin their lives, unquote. I'm going to link this article in the description below. It's very, very good. If you're interested in, uh, in reading it, I highly recommend it and checking it out. It just, it just continues to show that it, the lawlessness that's taking place here within American K-12 schools is absolutely astounding. Never in my lifetime would I have ever thought that men and women could share the same bathroom at the same time. Think about the crimes that are going to be committed in these schools that continue to do this. And again, legally speaking, are they breaking their own contracts? I think so. They're all breaking their own contracts. But unfortunately, if a state or the federal government says, or in particular the state or the state governor says, this is state law, then what they're saying is is that child abuse is now state law. Putting your children at risk in school buildings is state law. State legislators are just going to have to fight back against this. They're going to have to Again, I've, I've mentioned it in the previous episodes, but they're just going to have to cut and paste their own laws and their own proposals and their own legislation and just get it from one state to the next, hoping that, again, they take it up and that a governor signs off on it. But even these governors in red states are not conservatives at all. Many of them are just bought and sold and just as corrupt as the ones in blue states. So, I don't know two heads of the same snake. And unfortunately, America's children are the the prey. And that has to stop. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Don't forget to check out AmericanEducationFM.com where you can make a small donation or even email us and be a guest on the podcast. Until next time, never stop learning, never stop reading, and never stop unlearning. Thanks for listening, and God bless.